get some topical hot in the streets NFL talk Sweet. after I finish my hot pocket. What kind of? Oh, hot we're gonna start now. Good pepperoni pizza. Oh, so well, Brian. That's only, yeah, that's the only kind worth eating. I was telling Brian, I'm gonna make the same joke again. That um, but it's kind of serious. Research needs to be done into hot pockets for like low income areas and cold climates, and how to keep them warm. I put this hot pocket in the microwave. I got to get out of the microwave at nine o'clock, put it under my ceiling fan in my room while I was getting ready to get my stuff out. Sat down to eat it at nine fifteen, still steaming hot. Yeah. Like we need to like coat the ins- like insulate houses with like the hot pocket breading. Well, the other thing about hot pockets that I always found strange, you microwave it. It says microwave it between a minute and a half and two minutes or whatever. You microwave mm-hmm. it for like a minute and a half and it's still frozen in the middle. Mm-hmm. You microwave it for a minute and 40 seconds and you can't eat it because it burns your mouth whenever you try. Like I have the same. Yeah. I have the same what issue happens with in those 10 seconds? I have the same issue with popcorn. Like I put the yeah. hot popcorn in the microwave for like a, a minute and 42 seconds. It's perfect. I put it in the pot in the microwave for a minute, 45 seconds. Every single kernel of popcorn is burnt. It's black. The bag is almost have a hole in it from being so hot. Yeah, and if you do it for a minute and 40, none of it's popped. Yeah, you have like six popped kernels. Welcome to the Fourth and Short Podcast. This is Brian, joined by John and Brad. How are you guys doing tonight? Decent. I'm, I have, like, my gears are turning. I'm ready to talk. Uh, that's never a good thing. Never a good well, thing it's, already, it's a bad thing. I mean, I'm like that normally, like 90% of the time. I talk too much anyway. Tonight might be a little extra bad. Oh, Jesus. Probably just kick him off the you, show now and just like you can go ahead. You go ahead and uh, close your app, close your browser, go move on to your next <laughs> podcast. You're going to listen to. There'll be a lot of nonsense coming your way in this one. Yep, specifically from John. But anyway, well, that's what I'm talking about. I was referring to myself, not you guys. You guys are always solid and informed, and very enjoyable to listen to. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate Sounds that. like he wants something. <laughs> yeah, what like what what are you trying to do here? What what's your end game here? I don't know, make you guys less annoyed when I talk too much the rest of the episode. Well, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, we talked about the Jets and Panthers on the last podcast. Now we have the upcoming game against the 8 and 3 Saints who share the same record as the Panthers. Um Sure last time it the last time around it didn't really go so well for the Panthers. They lost by a decent margin. Um so there's a few different things going on here. Like Greg Olson will be playing in this game. Uh Kelvin Benjamin isn't around, but Panthers offense has played better, surprisingly, without him. Um Vernon Butler just came off his best game as a defensive tackle. And it seems like the Panthers are trending on the way the right way up. 
but you never know because this this team also lost the Chicago Bears earlier this year. So I guess I'll start with you, Brad. What about this game concerns you the most? Well, what concerns me the most is that we're going to see a repeat of week three uh, where Carolina looked like they didn't even belong on the same field. Uh, I don't think necessarily that's going to happen. I think Carolina is better now than we were at the beginning of the year. Um, but I still have that back of my head fear that we're going to get blown out and it's going to be the start of a spiral downwards that sees us finishing eight and eight and we're too bad to get in the playoffs, but we're too good to get a good draft pick out of it. That would I'm, be I'm reeling, Carolina. I'm reeling from your your the idea you just mentioned that the Panthers could possibly be better in December than they were in September while being coached by Ron Rivera. I just are you though? Yeah, update, I mean that never happened. Your computer. Um, yeah, I know it's it's just it's it's odd to me. Doesn't seem right. I'm telling you, but, it's possible. This is a reverse year because you know we were really good at the first part of the year we could be really bad towards the end because we can't have nice things i wouldn't call barely beating the 49er or barely beating the bills nine to three really good just saying yeah that's i mean it wasn't great that's a fair argument i mean we have one yeah we beat the niners i mean that's good but you know most teams beat the niners well, I think all but like what one team has beat the Niners this year? I believe so. Yeah, it was the Giants. Yeah, so good for us. Yay! Um, as you since you asked, what concerned me the most, I think, um, is Alvin Kamara. I've been really all on the Alvin Kamara train the last couple of days, like just about everybody else that watches football. Um, and I've said it in multiple ways. The thing that about him is his balance is ridiculous. Like. He's like a weeble wobble. Like no matter who grabs him or pushes him or hits him or anything, he always just like stays upright and doesn't lose speed or acceleration or anything. And yeah, he, yeah he's got incredible balance and and he's you know, fast. He, he he can he's fast and he can catch the ball out of the backfield but, better than most like, running backs in the NFL. Yeah. So, yeah it's not like the Jonathan Stewart balance where like he doesn't go down because he's not moving fast enough to lose his balance to begin with. <laughs> it's like he's actually like he's running like a, a solid like four or five speed and still just bouncing off people, even though he's not that big. Yeah, one of the craziest um, Alvin Kamara stats, he is averaging 7.1 yards per carry this year. Jesus Christ. That's 77 carries for 546 yards and five touchdowns. He has only been held below four yards per carry three times. Chicago did it. New England did it. And, of course, New England is – he only carried once, so that's really not (laughs) – It's a bit skewed. Um, And Minnesota. So – you know, it's and it's Minnesota, very, New England were the first two games of the year. They were the first two games of the year, and that's when they still had Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram was the starter. Um, you know, against us, he only had two carries, but he it was for thirty-seven yards. And if you're scoring at home, uh, we're 
the team that has given him the highest yards per carry average for <laughs> this year at 18 and a half, but he only had two carries. Also a bit skewed, equally as skewed as the one carry for three yeah. yards. The In only the- teams that have really held him to nothing are Minnesota and Chicago. Uh, he carried seven times for 18 yards against Minnesota in the first game of the year. Uh, and he carried eight times for 28 yards against Chicago. Everybody else, he's averaged at least five yards a carry. I feel like nobody on Cascot Reader wanted him either. I don't not understand. A, not that. a single one person. Yeah. Not even you. Generally, the uh, Christian McCaffrey detractors wanted him instead. Yeah, didn't Brad? You're pretty. You were. You were all about Alvin Kamara in the draft process, weren't you? Yeah, I. I thought. I mean, I'm not. I'm not upset with Christian McCaffrey by any means, but I thought it would have been a better play to, to go with somebody else at eighth overall and get Kamara. What was he drafted? Like fortieth or fiftieth? Fifty seventh. Okay. Sixty. Okay. Uh, we could have. Jesus. We could have drafted someone. Uh, you know, he hasn't been used that much, but we could have drafted O.J. Howard eighth. Uh, he would be a good fit for our offense, especially with Greg Olson missing half the year. Um, but I just I think that getting someone like Kamara later in the draft would have been better than spending a top 10 pick on Christian McCaffrey. Counterpoint. And, Counterpoint. You know, well, he's got you know, bad facial piercings. Oh, my oh. God. Well, yeah, he's unplayable. Okay. Yeah, yeah he's not going to happen now. But yeah. counterpoint to that, real counterpoint, Marshawn Lattimore was still available too. Yeah, I really wish we would have drafted him. Basically, so, you wish we drafted the, who the Saints drafted. Yeah, I kind of yeah. wish we would have drafted the Saints drafted. I, I'm jealous of the Saints draft. They really knocked it Don't out. Me. I mean, like, like Marshawn Lattimore like, came right in and was like, a, a, like, I would say pretty good to really good shut down number one corner. And it's like you pair him with, with James Bradbury, you have a really solid cornerback tandem. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty with the draft. Um, they also forward, drafted an offensive tackle. You're an offensive tackle. And they were good. And then, yeah. All right, yeah. Anyway, future Panthers. <laughs> I was going to say, going forward, um, <laughs> it seems like Marshawn Lattimore is, I want to say, questionable to play. He went from limited practice to no practice on from Wednesday to Thursday. Oh, he did? Yeah. Um, Ken Crawley will be back most likely against the Panthers, and he he caused problems last time. So, um, but going forward, it seems like New Orleans also might be missing Teron Armstead. They're you know really good left tackle. So there's some, there's some injuries in this game that that will play a role. I mean, it seems like Christian McCaffrey's going to play. Um, Greg Olson sounds like he's going to play, but Cam Newton. His thumb apparently was pretty good today. He wasn't wearing any kind of prote- any kind of like protection on it while he was throwing the ball. Apparently, his spirals are coming out tighter. Um, where the Saints could be missing Lattimore and their top left tackle, but that still scares me a little bit because Cam's hurt. He's, his shoulders hurt. His thumb's still potentially hurt. Um, and we also don't really know what's going to happen with Ray Olson because Olson it could be on a snap count for all we know because it's essentially this is just pain tolerance for him right now. So on the injury front, what do we what do we think here? I'll start with you, John. 
Uh, I'm a little concerned about Greg Olson because I thought about something where it's like he needs to be careful about the pain tolerance thing. Where like if it's hurting him, he needs to ease up because you don't want to aggravate it. Yeah. Um. So if if it was bad enough to where he was held out of the second half of the game, I hope it doesn't like keep you know be a keep become a recurring thing this year because I could very easily see like I know they might not have him practice at all this week and then still have him suit up for the game. But I, I don't want it to become like a Ryan Khalil situation where it's like every week he's right there and then he tries and it doesn't work and then he tries again and it still doesn't work and it's just we have no Greg Olson basically. Agreed. Yeah, that's pretty much my thought too. Yeah, on my end, I would say I'm still kind of worried about Cam Newton just because him being banged up plus the fact that the Saints really got after him the first time they played. That could yeah, be a massive issue. Too. Because... We've seen what Cam looks like when he's under heavy pressure and he's he's not good no matter how like no matter how well he's playing he's just not good in those situations. Um but looking at the I guess we'll tr- I'll transition into like the matchups here. Um the first thing I want to mention is the offensive to defensive matchups, specifically Carolina's defense versus the Saints offense because the Saints offense Made Carolina look stupid last time they played. Like, does anybody disagree with me there? Is that no? That seems fair. Good. No, I, you're uh, actually right. And the very specific thing that I want to bring up here is Michael Thomas because Captain Munnell will be back this week. And last time that these two teams played, Shaq Thompson for some reason was matched up against Michael Thomas in the slot constantly, and obviously Michael Thomas tore him apart. Yeah, um, and and on that point, probably be prepared to see that again, because we okay. tend to do dumb things like that for no no explainable reason. Uh, so you know, if, if you're a Panthers fan, don't get your hopes up that we'll adjust to to Michael Thomas. Well, at least sucks about it too is that. Oh, go ahead. At least I think we'll have Captain Munnerlin back. Hopefully. But, but, Munderland was in Munderland was playing in that game though, which is what was what was super was super baffling was that Munderland was healthy and he could have played more and they didn't play him as much. Like that was that, that was during that time where like Munderland was complaining about how he wasn't getting enough snaps on defense. It was like that's well, that yeah, that's made a lot my, of sense for him to play. Well, that's why it's my hope that we hopefully learn from our mistakes and we're like, okay, so Shaq Thompson can't cover wide receivers, so let's let Captain Munderland do it this time. Yeah. How uh, how many people were expecting to say like, "Oh, thank God, I'm happy Captain Munnerlin's back." After the uh his departure the first time. Yeah. Pretty pretty uh not a, not a lot of Panthers fans were big fans of Captain Munnerlin back in those days. Which I, I don't understand that because he's actually a pretty decent player. You know. He is. Especially considering he was the 7th round draft pick. He's way overachieved what he should have done based on that career, you know, projection based on where he was drafted. Um, Don't put him outside on a number one receiver. Don't put him outside on a number two receiver, but put him in the slot and let him go up against guys that are his size and quickness and everything. And he's pretty good. And he can also um, be that extra safe or extra corner in the box if you need a, a like a corner blitz. He's really good at things like that, and every team needs somebody like that. Um, 
but you know, we had to let him go a couple of years ago because Minnesota was willing to pay him. What was it? $30 million for three or four years. And he just, he wasn't worth that. Um, but I, I'm glad they brought him back. Yeah. It's all part of the reunion tour, but, um, I, I have a pretty good idea of what the Panthers and Saints matchup like is like um when the Saints have the ball because that's what I wrote about yesterday. Well, why don't you tell us? Well, um the big thing I so we already talked about like Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram's good too. Um, well, one it's interesting that the Saints have transitioned into a run based team. Like Alvin Kamara, like Mark Ingram, we talked about Alvin Kamara. Mark Ingram's also averaging over five yards a carry this year, and he's scoring. A ton of touchdowns he's very good as well and then they also odd because he hasn't been good like until last year he was good Uh, yeah yeah. that was the thing he was like the prime example like oh don't draft running backs in the first round and don't draft running backs from alabama they all they all bust and then last year he went over a thousand yards on five yards carry he's gonna do it again this year so it's weird to see a running back who doesn't change teams just like suddenly have a career like resurgence at age 26. Well, that offensive line is pretty good, though. Yeah, and I, but I feel like they've always had a pretty good offensive line, especially mainly on the interior, which is where you'd expect to get some a lot of running yeah, yards. Yeah, their, their, their interior is better than their exterior. Their tackles are kind of suspect. So if we're going to get to Drew Brees, we have to attack from the outside. But speaking I, of Drew Brees, I real quick, I actually disagree on what Brad just said a oh. little bit because Fight. because I'm not trying to beef. I'm not trying to beef here. I'm just saying that Brees has always done super well against the Panthers when he can step up in the pocket. And K1 Short, Star Latoule, and Vernon Butler, who just came off, like I said earlier, his best game of the season, they could make that really hard for him. Like he's not a guy who can roll out or like bounce away from defensive ends like Cam Newton can. He's a guy where he needs to have pocket presence and when you get the when you get up in his face, he doesn't do well. That's part of why in 2013 the Panthers did a, a good job against him. That and that's just my opinion, but that's what I've seen over the last few years is if you get the interior pressure, he struggles a hell of a lot more than he does if the out the outside guys are doing well. He's also short, people forget that. Yeah, he's short, and he's also part of a pyramid scheme. And people forget that too. So. <laughs> That's the advocate stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at his, it's Ted Ginn is another thing to watch out for. We saw that in the first one. Um, Drew Brees is taking some shots in the field to him, and he's been he's Ted Ginn. If he has one more like breakout game, he could eclipse a thousand yards this season. Jesus Christ. Never yeah, I didn't see that coming, did you? No. Then again, he caught, what, like 10 touchdowns for Carolina in 2015? So I guess, yeah, he caught like 10 touchdowns, like an inordinate number of touchdowns compared to how many passes he caught. But yeah, he's going to probably go, well, not probably. He's on pace for like 950 yards or something this year, so he'll need a, like a, a couple big catches, a couple breakout games to go over 1,000. But it's very much uh, in his sights. The weird thing about Ted Ginn is he's not dropping passes this year. He's only dropped, I think it's one or two passes. You know, Drew Brees spirals, man. Yeah, we're used to seeing Ted Ginn drop nearly everything that's thrown his way, but that's just not happening now. So he's actually a real deep threat down the field because he can catch the ball. 
Yep. The other thing the Saints are doing, and I'm I'm looking now, and it's it's pretty much in line. But Drew Brees, especially against tougher defenses, is throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage a ton. Yeah, they probably are throwing it to Alvin Kamara like we like to do with Christian McCaffrey. Like he against the Rams, he completed twenty two passes, and nine of them were at or behind the line of scrimmage, or like no more than one yard down the field. So half of his completions were basically screen passes. Well, that's that's proper game planning, which is really a testament to Sean Payton's game planning because that Rams defense, like you know, we. The Rams haven't been good for a long time, and like there's been a lot been made about their offense this year, but that front seven is still nasty. Like, yeah, they still have Robert Quinn, they still have Aaron Donald, they still have Michael Brockers. Like, that front seven is scary. So, the fact that the Saints managed to put together a pretty good game plan, despite the fact that Breeze is generally known for throwing the ball, the ball down the field, is really a testament to how versatile this team is. And that's what scares me the most. It's like. You're going to find a way to scheme around this Panthers defense. I've always had the impression that Drew Brees throws the ball around the line of scrimmage an annoying amount of times per game. Like, no, that's Tom Brady. Uh, Drew Brees does it too. Uh, if we go back to the Bills game, because the game in between the Rams and the Bills doesn't prove my point. The Bills game, he completed 18 passes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them are behind the line of scrimmage. And another one, two, three, four, five, six of them are within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That's 13 passes out of 18 completions that were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. But that's, like I said, a testament to them their game planning because we know Breeze can throw it down the field. He can, like, but he, he, he's done it. Like there were oh, there no, were seasons where where their running game sucked and he had to throw the ball down the field. Like what they're doing right now is essentially making it easier for Drew Brees to complete passes and allowing those drives to keep going. And that's why they scare me so much, because their rushing game is there, and Drew Brees is their quarterback. That's scary for for, for any defense, really. I mean... Yeah, um, he's always... He can throw the ball on the field. I'm not denying that. It's just he's... Uh, part of why he's had such a good completion percentage from his, for his career, apart from the fact that he is super accurate, is that he throws, like, a bajillion screen passes. Um Week eight, he completed 23 passes. 18 of them were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That was against the Bears. No downfield throws. But he's still good. So, not to discredit him as a player, it's just that, and that's what I kind of said in my defensive preview, is that, especially the linebackers in particular, they re- we need to come up and tackle. Because we didn't do that very well the first time against the Saints. And that was part of the reason the Saints Rips blew the apart. Panthers out of the water. Yep. Was that game against Chicago in New Orleans or was it in Chicago? It was in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Well, that defeats my question. <laughs> Were you going to say it's because of the weather? Yeah, I was going to say it could have been because of the weather in Chicago. But, you know, if it was at home, then no, it was just a game plan. Yeah, I'm just throwing just... in the stupid dome because they have a dome. <laughs> if it, would the Saints still be good if they played out those? I don't think so. Think? I don't think they would be as good. I think that they do rely on that the dome and the quickness of the the artificial turf. I think that helps them. Especially uh, with I Drew Brees. Yeah, I, I don't they think it? they would be like you know San Francisco bad, but 
I don't think they would be eight and three and one of the best teams in the, in the NFC. I think it definitely gives them a huge home field advantage. Just, I think any dome team gets a huge home field advantage just because crowd noise makes it such a bigger, much, my God, I can't talk. It's so much bigger of a factor in a dome than it is in an outdoor stadium. The one and other on thing- top of that, it, it is conducive to a uh, air raid type offense, which the Saints up until this year have always really run. The one point I'll make about the dome thing, um, 2013, Carolina beat them by like what it was like seventeen to fourteen or something like that in Carolina on like a rainy day when yeah, like that was, that was earlier a in the season like years ago yeah earlier in the season it wasn't like that at all um and that 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 would definitely prove that point because that was the closest I've seen to the Saints being the kind of team they are now was twenty thirteen because they had a really stout defense they were able to run the ball and Carolina managed to shut them down because they had the they had the, you know, rain and the not dome. So, um, that said, I'm pretty sure this game is being played in New Orleans. Yeah, I, that's what I've been told. That's good. That's that's really that's really good for the, all these points we're making about how they're not going to be good in the dome, <laughs> outside of a dome. Um. It's relevant. <laughs> it's still it's still the, the Saints. The Panthers have beaten them in the dome before, though. Usually, yeah. it turns into a shootout, but they have done it. Um. Those games are always like the most frustrating games because it's always something stupid that happens. Forty-five you know? to thirty-eight score. Yeah. Like yeah. And then we get to hear more takes about how this defense actually isn't good. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> that was a great segue because now we can transition into the Panthers' defense versus the. You know, that's what we've been uh, doing. We can transition into what we've already been talking about. Yeah. My bad. I will say this, though, but the Panthers. I thought it was a great segue. It was almost a great segue. But yeah. I will say, the Panthers fans that think the Panthers defense isn't that great, you're incorrect. It's not even like an opinion. I mean, I guess it's technically an opinion, but like, there's nothing to back up the reasoning behind the Panthers have a bad defense. Really, the thing behind that is just that we are accustomed to this Panthers defense taking the ball away all the time. And that's really the only that. thing that's missing. Yep. It's and like, J- James Bradbury said it well, just, you know, being a few inches away from taking the ball away. Well, on that's an happened Yeah, it's been... No, it has. No, you're, you're right. Like, I mean, we saw one where Shaq Thompson, literally, the ball went through his hands for an interception. Like, we've Yeah, we've dropped several, and there have just been so many plays, especially against the Jets last week, where it's just like... A quarterback airmails a throw, and so many times you see it go right into the chest of a safety who just happened to be standing there, or a ball gets tipped up in the air and falls into somebody's lap. And all of those plays, they're airmailing throws like just a little bit wide of where the safeties are, or they're getting the balls are getting tipped and falling right into Bermuda Triangle, or no defender can get to it. Just haven't yep. caught those breaks this year, which is a testament again to how well the defense has been playing that they've put up such good stats without forcing turnovers to get their uh the other offenses off the field yeah like we're, we're like, something we're something like top five or six in total defense we're second and in I yardage we're, we're second in yardage and like and we're in 27th in turnover yeah and normally like scoring defense can get buoyed really heavily by turnover margin like you'll see teams that have they're like 25th in yards allowed per game be like top five in scoring defense if they force a bunch of turnovers and the Panthers don't have that to boost that average and they're still I think we're still sixth or something like that 
in mm-hmm. scoring, maybe fifth. So yeah, the defense is really good, guys. It's 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 not bad. Yeah, the big the biggest thing the biggest thing with that is I feel like this is the best front seven Carolina's fielded in a while, too. It is. Between Charles Johnson, Mario Addison, Julius Peppers, Wes Horton surprisingly is like fourth on the team in sacks, which I didn't I saw that a few days ago and was very surprised by that. Um you obviously everybody else short starts Yep, and then those three good linebackers, like offenses when they're not when they're not like when they don't have momentum and they're not driving, they're having a lot of trouble getting stuff going. And it's hard to turn the ball over when the offense is, you know, throwing the ball for a check down because they realize the play's over. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I just I just keep thinking that the turnovers are gonna come at some point because this defense has been playing getting too much pressure on quarterbacks and forcing too many errant throws and stuff to not have more turnovers happen. Right. This is what I've talked about. This is why football is dumb. There's so much luck involved. Yeah, I, I think we're due for one of those games where we get like two or three interceptions and a fumble. How about this game? I, I, that would be nice. Uh, I, I do think it's going to happen. I think it might be Tampa in a couple of weeks. Tampa is good, uh, always good for But, yeah, I, I think we're going to have a multiple turnover game. I I don't think we're going to improve, you know, rankings-wise very much. We'll probably go from 27th to, like, 19th or something. but Because we're tied for 27th with, like, four other teams with 10. But, you know, I, I do think we'll we'll end up with probably 15, 16 turnovers by the time the year's over. Yeah, I think so, too. But it's odd that... Like we've said, we have so few because last year we had, I think it was 29 or something like that. And then two years ago, we had 39, which led the league. So, I mean, that was the big thing that. Yeah, that's why we were so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because it seemed like so many of those turnovers were early in games, too. Mm -hmm. Where it would just be like Panthers scored touchdown, team turns it over, Panthers scored another touchdown. Now they're. They're playing from a with a lead, and the ball just the snowball just starts rolling downhill. Right. You want to transition us smoothly to the Panthers' yeah, offense? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's do that. Yeah. So, Panthers' offense didn't look so hot last week against the Jets, though the Jets do have a much better defense. People give them credit for, um, and obviously Cam Newton's thumb was hurt. Um, seems like Cam's thumb is better based on the practice reports we've seen because he hasn't wearing any kind of protective wrapping or anything like that around his thumb. But still, the Saints made the Panthers look really dumb. Uh, it was probably one of the worst games of the season for Cam Newton. Actually, I believe it was one of the worst games of his career as a passer the last time that these two teams met. Um, the Saints are missing a guy. I forget what the guy's name was, but they, but one of their pass rushers went on IR recently, so they've kind of had to reconfigure their defense. Yep, Okafor, that's it. Um, Alex Okafor went on IR, so they had to reconfigure their front seven. It's possible that Marshawn Lattimore won't be playing this game. Um, that said, the last time around, he wasn't playing either, and Ken Crawley was, and he still made plays, so... Um, what are we worried about the most here? as far as offense versus defense goes. And I'll start with you, Brad. 
I'm actually worried the most that we're going to try to rush guys back too soon. No, um, notably Greg Olson. You know, we've already talked about it, but I would almost rather him not play because I would rather see him healthy going forward. You know, even if we lose on Sunday, we would be eight and four. We're still in the wild card race. Uh, we would probably basically give the Saints the division, but one of the other two between us, New Orleans, Atlanta, whoever doesn't win the division, one of the other two at least is going to win a wild card spot and possibly both. So I am almost willing to risk losing on Sunday to have Greg Olson when it matters. We need Greg Olson for the last stretch of the year and even into the playoffs because we're most likely going to see a wild card game on the road. And that's the kind of game you need Greg Olson to be 100% more than this game on Sunday. While, you know, and I do recognize and admit this game is the biggest game so far of the season, but it's not the playoffs yet. So my biggest concern is that they're going to they're going to panic and they're going to put too much pressure on Greg Olson's foot. My concern is also similar in that I think it's going to be born out of fear. I think we're going to go into the Superdome and be scared of the Saints home field advantage and their passing or their offensive prowess and try way too hard to establish Jonathan Stewart on the ground trying to take away the home crowd advantage and it's not going to work. Yeah. Oh, like, you know like we'll first be... play of the game is going to be Jonathan Stewart for one for yard. For sure. Like, I feel like we're going to be too scared to turn the ball <clears> over, <throat> so we're going to try extra hard to run the ball and average about a yard and a half a carry. Yeah. My and biggest I... fear... Yes. Oh, go ahead. No, that's, that's it. My biggest fear is that Carolina gets rocked in the running game early. And By the Saints Cam Newton, offense? Yes. Yeah. And makes Cam Newton try to stay in the pocket again, which okay. didn't work out last time. I, I think a lot. <laughs> that's another thing. I think that was as much the coaching staff and the play calling keeping Cam in the pocket as much as with the Saints. Hopefully we don't try that again because coincidentally enough, the offense has kind of had a little uptick in production when Cam Newton started running again. Don't know why that would happen, but it seems to be the case. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that works. But, you know, whatever. I just worry that, like, I'm not worried about if, – if the Panthers come out right away and, like, get Cam Newton established in the running game, I'll say that's a win. But mm-hmm. if we go two drives in the game, Cam Newton's run the ball, like, once, I think that's going to be a problem because then they're going to – then the Saints will be ready for it because they're going to know that's what Carolina's going to go to in the, des- in the desperation mode. So, yeah, we need to get Cam going early. Get him yeah. to carry early in the first drive, hopefully for some good yardage. Of all games that. to let Cam be Cam, this is the one because sure. this game could develop into a shootout very quickly. Speaking of Cam, I'm going to transition into one of my non-Panthers topics I wanted to talk about because okay, it has to do with quarterbacks. Go. It has to do with quarterbacks, okay? We've seen like how much just supporting cast affects the quarterback when we have with Cam. And I don't understand why evaluators, both like just like media and stuff, can't grasp how much 
the players around a quarterback affect the play of a quarterback. Like, why is Carson Wentz not good last year? And then all of a sudden now he's like, oh, now he's really good. And at the same time, it's like Dak Dak Prescott was amazing last year. And all of a sudden now he's like, well, now he's just bad. Case Keenum has been bad for forever, but now all of a sudden he's good. And it's just like people can't evaluate, you know, it's just it's it's very frustrating to me that it's so, like there's no separation between the quarterback's abilities and the like the ability of the team around him. I I think you're touching on a good point there, but I think that it, the situations always differ too. Like uh, Carson Wentz, he's got Alshon Jeffrey, he's got um, Zach Nelson Aguilar, he's got Zach Ertz, Torrey Smith is really basically the there. best offensive lineman at every single position across the offensive line, except for left tackle. Now that Peters is out. But that left tackle position could be a huge problem, you know. Yeah, it um, hasn't been so far. But like, if you watch then, them play, he gets, he's like Tom Brady back there. He just gets to stand there and survey the defense till he finds somebody open, completely unmolested. But pff, unmolested, okay. It's the proper um, use of the word. Anyway, so and he obviously has the benefit of good of a good defense too, which helps out. But yes, Carson Wentz to me, he reminds me a lot of what Cam Newton was in 2015. Because he is making plays to wide receivers that everywhere else weren't that great. I mean, like, Nelson Aguilar was, like, barely an afterthought as an Eagles wide receiver before this year. And Torrey Smith hasn't been good since he left the Ravens. And Alshon Jeffrey was good for the Bears, despite the fact that he was made of glass. Um, Watch it. <laughs> excuse me. Um, so, I think, like, like Carson Wentz is making a lot of the making a lot of the big boy throws you want to see from a franchise quarterback. So I think this is that's genuinely part like that's genuinely something you contribute to the talent of Carson Wentz and just that he's obviously being comfortable being comfortable behind your offensive line is good and we saw that in 2015 when Cam Newton was too. But you flip it to Case Keenum. That was who I was going to bring up back. Yeah. Here. Like I, Case Keenum fact, has a really good offense around him. Yes. Like, like I would argue a better offense around him than the Eagles because Stephon Diggs is a really good receiver. Adam Thielen has turned into one of the best wide receivers. Like, Adam Thielen's amazing. Like they have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL, and Dalvin Cook is no longer around. But when he is back, he's going to be one of the top running backs in the NFL as well. Um. Keenum still has those games where he throws four interceptions and the Vikings still win. So it's like, for him, I feel like, you know, he's playing within the scheme, which is good, but it's not really as much him winning the games as much as the skill around him. Well, that's what I'm saying is it's so funny to me, like Case Keenum is being looked at as like an MVP candidate. People are like, oh, maybe Case Keenum's actually good. And like, no, Case Keenum, this is his fifth season. Every other season he's thrown, he's been bad. It's not Case Keenum didn't just suddenly get better at playing quarterback. Like there's a lot. Like the the team around a quarterback makes a big huge difference. Like look at Jared Goff as another example. It just I, it gets frustrating to me when I hear people say like, look at how much better Keenum has gotten, or look how much better Goff has gotten, or look at how much worse Prescott has gotten. When it's like they're all the same players they've always been. It's the situation they're in that's changed. Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of people saying that Keenum is like an MVP. I've seen Case Keenum MVP candidacy comments. But but people are going to say that about any quarterback, depending on who you're looking at. 
But most of the people that I see evaluating quarterbacks say Case Keenum's not that great. It's the Vikings around him that are doing it. But you're not You've wrong. I mean, like, like, you're me. like, I follow a lot of the guys who, like, evaluate quarterbacks specifically. And they well, yeah, see, that's it. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, if you just watch general sports reporting. Yeah, well, New York Daily News sucks for, for the most New York part. Daily News, NFL Power Rankings, MVP candidate Keenum leads Vikings to number three. Star Tribute, is Case Keenum a top ten NFL MVP candidate? Um, I could go on. I, I hear you. For you. So, no, you're right. Thing. I mean, like, we, we've seen it, like, just to, just to break it down for people listening. I mean, we've seen it with Cam Newton. The one year when he had the best pass protection he's had, he was the league MVP, went 15-1 and one with Ted Ginn, Philly Brown, and Devin Funches. And this is the Devin Funches who wasn't the Devin Funches of this year. And <coughs> led the highest scoring offense in the NFL. Like, Yep, and then the next year, the offensive supporting cast tanks. And all of a sudden, apparently Cam Newton sucks at quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's weird how that works. Yep, it's because... The thing about quarterbacks, and this is obviously a very archaic thing with them, but wins are what matters, and that's the stupid thing about it, is that wins have always been what matters the most for quarterbacks, despite the fact that they are not the guy. They are not all 22 people playing on each side of the ball. I think we talked about in the Slack chat, I don't know if you saw it, about I think Eli Manning shouldn't go nowhere near the Hall of Fame. But he's going to get in because he's Manning with two rings. Yeah, I agree with you. He should not. But he will. He's led the league in interceptions like three times. That's a- hey, he's led the league. That's what I call a bold. <laughs> that's what I call a bold player. A guy he's a league bold. leader. You call him a what? He threw a t- he threw a a historical pass to David Tyree. That alone makes him a Hall of Fame candidate. He chucked opinion. it up in the air and hoped that was that wasn't the Manningham pass was amazing. It was a great pass. The David Tyree play was like. Saying Tom Brady made a great pass to Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Tyree was he. He was just trying to not get sacked. <laughs> that was, I mean, theoretically speaking, your wide receiver one on one with a safety, you should throw that pass as an NFL quarterback. Though I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Like I know, I know it was David Tyree, but in most cases, fun facts. you throw the ball. But go ahead. Not verified, but I'm pretty sure it's true. That was David Tyree's last career catch. I believe it was. Like he, yep. I think he played one more year, but didn't do anything, and then he retired. Mm-hmm. What a way to go out! I mean, I would have done that. Yeah, he played for Baltimore. Yeah. Two thousand two years later, that was it. Wow. So, what was your other thing, John? I know you had. Akeeb Talib and Michael Crabtree. Oh my God, Akeeb Talisi, breaker of chains. Okay, see now that's that's where my thing is. Okay, why does Michael Crabtree get shamed for Akeeb Talib being petty and ripping off a piece of his jewelry? Why does Michael Crabtree take a swing at him for ripping off a piece of his jewelry? That's the thing, because that he's he was disrespected. I don't understand. It's like Michael Crabtree is being like made fun of for getting his chain ripped, and Akeem Talib is like not. And it's me. It's it's like why oh, is, no, like, is Michael? Well, he is, but it's like why is Michael Crabtree getting made fun of basically because Akeem Talib was petty and ripped his chain off? 
Like, I don't, I'm not understanding where that where that comes into play. I can't explain why people are making fun of Crabtree for it. I think it's mainly just because the internet is full of douchebags. But that's my um, big, that's my. <laughs> but I will say, like, you're an NFL player. If you take a swing at a guy, you're gonna get suspended. Like it's at this at this point in the NFL's um at this point in the in the way the NFL goes, when you decide to try and fight someone on the field, you're probably gonna get suspended. That was just stupid. Like I get that he was angry. Go go off and talk to the reporters afterwards, say whatever savage words you wanna say. You know, but that play he got himself suspended because he tried decided to try and take a swing at my at Akeem Salib. But see, well, Keith Lee was also rightfully suspended, and I, he I will should say probably that. have been suspended for being stupid because wasn't Talib still wearing his helmet at the time? Yes, he yes. was. Like, but why see, that's are my you thing, swinging though. your fist at a guy who's wearing a football helmet? Here's my thing: I think Michael Crabtree would be getting more flack on the internet if he didn't try to fight Talib afterwards. Or it's I like, don't even think it would have been a story on the internet if he didn't. To be oh honest. no, it definitely would have been. I, I've seen so many things. You're like, bro. Crabtree let him snatch his chain again. What a loser. And it's like, what's he supposed to do about that? So, like, it's a keep to leave. Wouldn't, have even, wouldn't have even made it to the internet if, if Tlaib ripped his chain off and then Crabtree walked away. There, most likely, the, like, the internet wouldn't have even heard about it, to be honest. I'm disappointed in your, in your, uh, opinion of the internet there. The internet would have definitely made a big scene out of Michael Crabtree getting his chain ripped by Keep Tlaib again. No matter no, the what the circumstances. Why, the reason why it's such a big deal is because both times Crabtree reacted negatively to it. That's yeah. why it's a big deal. It's like it's the same thing as bullying. Like the only reason that people bully people is because they want to get a reaction. If you fucking walk away, oh god, I dropped the f bomb. Sorry, but if you walk <laughs> away, if you walk away from it, it's not as big a deal. Like. 90% of my existence is saying things to people and hoping for a reaction. If they don't react, they don't generally try to get that reaction out of them again. I just walk away and go try to mess with someone else. Like, if if Crabtree walked away from it and just said, hey, you know what? He ripped my chain off, whatever. I'll go buy another chain. I don't think the, the internet would have made us such a big deal about it. Where now both these guys are suspended, and there was a hilarious sequence of Crabtree trying to punch somebody who didn't have his helmet on. That's why the internet was going in on him about it. I think we've reached peak millennial. We're arguing about what the internet would or would not do <laughs> on a non-Panthers football fight that happened last week. Yeah, I just it's because I've been seeing a bunch of stuff about it, and I'm like, I'm getting so confused as to why Michael Crabtree is getting 99% of the uh, ridicule for the situation. When to be it's fair like, to you, Brad, my mind, John was the one who wanted to bring it up, just so you know. Well, it's just, this is what I've been hearing, when in my mind, it's like, why are we not making fun of Aqib Tlaib for being uh, so childish to just, like, pe- like, poke people in the eye and rip necklaces off and stuff? Because he was savage, and he, he ripped his he ripped his necklace off for a second time. That's why it's awesome. I need, I, I just need Aqib Tlaib to be suspended for the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, Aqib Tlaib does suck. with Monte's perfect for me. He needs to be gone permanently. We need... The Broncos and the Bengals to get into a brawl and like Akeem Tlaib and Montez Perfect like attempt to murder each other and both uh, get indefinite lifelong bans from the NFL. You know, that's not out of the realm of possibility. It is for sure not out of the realm of possibility. (laughs) 
I don't think Talib would mess with Vontaze Perfect, though, because he's significantly bigger than them. I don't trust Talib to be smart enough to know whether or not he should match with Vontaze Perfect. Yeah, Talib looks like he's legitimately got a screw loose. Like he I mean, Talib took himself out of the game when he was when he was beefing with Steve Smith, so maybe he's smarter than we realize. He's also almost gone to jail for trying to shoot somebody, and he's a millionaire. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not I'm not a big in the uh, Akeem Talib is a is a wise man camp. Won't find me camping there. Well. To close out the podcast, why don't we go ahead and go with get back onto a topic and uh, Are we talking about again? Give give our projections for how this game is going to go. Um, Brad, I'll start with you. What's your what's your score prediction? I think we're going to see a shootout. I think that Carolina is going to be better on offense, but I don't think they're going to be able to really shut down Drew Brees because almost no one can do that. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, something like 35-31 Panthers. God dang it, that's the exact score I was going to say. Okay, well, I'll change mine. 38-35 Panthers. <laughs> I was going to say, I really, I don't know if the Panthers, I don't like feel like optimistic about the Panthers winning this game, and that's fine. It's a tough game, but if I have to put down a score prediction, I'm saying Panthers are going to win like 35-31. So my score prediction is actually how much the Panthers going to lose by? Twenty to ten Saints. Because oh, you think it's going to go the other way? I I just worry that the Saints' offense is going to dominate with the run game, like they did the first time around, and I worry that Carolina's offense won't get anything going because their offense has not convinced me that they're consistently good. Sure, but. Last week against the Jets, they honestly didn't deserve to win that game. We we all talked about that. I think the Panthers are going to lose this game against the Saints, and I think we're going to be embarrassed by it, and we're going to be really mad talking about it on Monday night. When you say the Panthers didn't deserve to beat the Jets, do you mean the offense or the team? The offense specifically. Okay. okay. I was going to say, that's a Panthers, take that a lot of people have. The team itself obviously deserved it, to win that yes, game. I mean, I Keekley scored a touchdown, you know, like. I've seen people say that. Out. The team didn't deserve to win because we scored on defense and special teams, and it's like they're they're part of the team too. Like it's still, they, their points count the same. Like they they came to play, to, they picked up the slack. The team deserved to win. Leave the defense, the special teams alone. They, they matter. They matter. Even if they don't get you, if they don't get you fantasy points <laughs> as individuals. So any any last things you guys want to address? Any last points you want to bring up? No, our half hour show went to well over an hour. That's okay. Actually, there is something I want to address. Here we go. Um, If you're listening to this, then it's Friday or Saturday. Friday. I I always put it up the day after we record. Well, somebody might listen to it on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're you're, you're right. That's what I said last time. Consider it asshole. Come on. I said that. I made that same retort to you last time. I'm disappointed myself for forgetting. Um, But if you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, please go to our homepage on Cat Scratch Reader and please look at our 
charity drive that we're doing this month of December. We're going to try to raise money for Thomas Davis's Defending Dreams Foundation. Um, we're going to set the goal for $1,000 like we did last year with Greg Olson's charity. Uh, I would actually like to see us exceed that goal um, by a lot. You know, I would like to see a $1,500 donation go to Thomas Davis's charity because he does so much good work for the community and he's pretty good at football too. Um, so if you've got any spare change, please consider giving to our worthy cause. You know what, Brad, I am so happy that you said that because that was how I was going to close the podcast out myself. Um, yes, absolutely. Please donate to this cause. If you care about our website at all, we're all here, and we all want to make the Panthers better. And we all want our Panthers players to be happy. And this is the best way to do it. Contribute to the causes that they have, especially this one, because this is a really good one. So I'll also add, absolutely. if you care about people in general, it's another. It's a good thing to help other people, even if it wasn't. Nah, make Panthers. it Panthers-related. Stop it. <laughs> but, no, seriously, you're, you're right. Like This is a very good cause, and this transcends football. So we'd all really appreciate it if you guys threw some money that way. I know I am. I'm pretty sure the other two of these guys will be as well. Join us it's, in that cause. It's the season of giving, so so give a little bit if you can. Agreed. So, yeah. Give to the cause, guys. You have all month of December to do it, but from all of us here at CSR and the fourth and short podcast this is brian with john and brad you guys have a great weekend have a good holidays see you later later Like wait for me to say see you before you say later. Yeah. Like walking into a dream. So what life would you see? So whatever it seems. God's been waiting for you. Falling into this place. Giving you a small taste. Hung around to love here, so stay. You'll be back as soon anyway. I see a distant light.
there's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Keep telling you we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.